Yowza, friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my burnt, unfashionable child murdering friend. Definitely <laughs> Alex Dandino. Definitely Alex Dandino, man. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hopefully the cameras are all good for you, man. We're working everything out over here on Nerd Alchemist. Uh, guys, this is the start of our October journey. You know the deal. Every Nightmare on Elm Street, every Friday the 13th, the Lighthouse, the Parasite, three or Parasite, three from hell, culminating Halloween Day on Freddy versus Jason. So we know it's a lot, but we hope you make it through with us. So much fun stuff. Uh, today, we're starting our sojourn. On a little street called Elm. Woo! Alex. Yeah. Walk me through Freddy Krueger. What are your thoughts on him? Where does he rank amongst your horror villains? Why did Nightmare on Elm Street become this cultural phenomenon, right? A movie about a child molester murderer, which again, Cloud always argues with me, as you'll hear later, about if he was a molester. There aren't guys that murder children that don't have sexual fetishes about it, guys. So yeah. enough of that debate. There's definitely. <laughs> How did that guy become a plush toy for children in Target? <laughs> well, later on, of course. I mean, like, this is an iconic horror movie villain. Like, this is up. Like, I would rank him above Jason or Jason's mom if you're into that kind of bullshit. But, like, I mean. <laughs> this has um, been the debate. I've recorded a lot of these already. So there's a lot of. Yeah. Jason's got a better body count. Freddy, uh. All right. What is, I, why Freddy for you? I mean, to me, like, I saw Freddy stuff when I was, I saw Freddy stuff when I was much older, actually. And it still scared the shit out of me. Uh, I think yeah. the important thing about Freddy Krueger and what actually is scary is that no one is safe in their dreams. Like, I don't know about you, but my daydreams are pretty terrifying. Like, sleeping is a horrible, <laughs> like, mess. So, like, if someone is entering your dreams knowing the full well they can fuck with you to the point where they could kill you in real life, that's pretty scary. Like, the very concept of not being able to protect yourself within your dream is pretty terrifying because you're vulnerable. Like, I, I, like I'm able to do a lot of lucid dreaming, which is where you can control things in your dream itself. But Oh, wow. Look at you. But that also... You're a real Alice. <laughs> this is apparently, like... This is apparently a pretty common thing. I didn't know that. But, um, like, I like to, like, replay stuff and change the rules and those kinds of things, which we'll talk talk about as we get further into uh, Freddy. <laughs> but, like, um, <laughs> that, I think, is the scariest part, though, is that there's someone on the other side of the dream who can change the rules in your dream. Like, you are not in control. I think it's the illusion right. of control that really is what's scary about Freddy Krueger for at least like these first two movies. And then things start kind of changing once you get to dream warriors. But, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. That I, would be, I that would be my the thing is that Freddy is unusual to me. Right. Cause a lot of people talk about Freddy as he's just this kind of embodiment of the bad dream and evil. Right. I think this first movie, that's not how I see Freddy. Right. No. The way I see Freddy is, and what this movie does really well that I like in part one is a lot of the dreams spend a lot of time. They're a little slowly paced compared to the rest of the series. Right. Whereas like my, my nightmare five, you wake up and it's like, oh, fuck, I'm in a like Looney Tune. Right. Right. Like the worlds are insane. And this, you know, right away what's happening. Right. This one, it's the kids kind of slowly walking through their own realities. Yeah. Then they appear in maybe a boiler room or something. Then they know it's wrong, and they see Freddy. Freddy becomes this 
virus, right? This fly in the ointment where, all right, I'm having a dream. Who is that thing? How did that thing get in here, right? So instead of this, it's all evil and bad dreams, he's this very specific thing that does not fit. And in dreams, that is often the scariest thing, right? Is like one of my dreams, right? I'm a dad now and have a family this snap. My One of my nightmares is showing up at my house, my wife meeting me at the door, not letting me in. And in the background, there's some shapeless, faceless man playing with my kids. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, that's not right. That's out of play. And that's like, I get frenetic and you'll wake up all sweaty. Interesting. So I like in this one, and this one too, I think the Freddy in this uh, first film is also interesting because- this feels like Freddy's first journey into this, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of Freddy kind of playing with his new toys, right? There's a a creepish, ghoulish joy to what he's doing, not just like, oh, catchphrases and jokes and like, look at this cool dream world. Right. It's just he seems like a kid who's like, look at these new fucking powers of harassment and evil I have. <laughs> that makes him extra unsettling. Right. I mean, I think that that's probably... It's probably the scariest part about the whole thing is the like, again, you have to remember, like in the context of 1984, there was not a movie like this where a guy is killing you in your dreams. So like the concept is very fresh. So like, why wouldn't it be sort of along the same sort of along the same line where you're like, whoa, like, I don't know what this is. So, of course, like I'm going to constantly (laughs) be experimenting with the world around me. Like that is a truly terrifying thing where. Not only do you not know what's going on, and not only do you know that you can get killed in your dream, but the guy who's doing the killing is also like, "What else can I do?" Like, there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of shit in this that's pretty terrifying. Well, I've always said, even if Freddy isn't to me the scariest of the villains, right? Like, there are versions of Freddy, like in the remake, you're like, "Well, that guy would be fucking truly terrifying." Right. That guy's like real rapey and ugly, and I'm scared of shit, right? He wastes no time. He's like straight to that. I'm going to fucking baconize you and be a terrible person. Right. Some of the middle movies, right? He becomes this kind of Bugs Bunny, like the Barker at a carnival that has no one there except for you. Yeah, totally. And that's what I said. The series takes a weird turn after a point where you're rooting for Freddy. He becomes your friend. Jason has that, too. Well, I think that's But of all the the premises, right, when you boil... Yeah, exactly. When you boil it down to the roots... This, to me, is the most terrifying horror movie concept of all of the major franchises. Because, like you said, it's there is this destruction of innocence story. Right. Uh, there's a helplessness about the dreams that, you know, we've all had that dream. You can't get your feet up to speed. You can't run. Right. Uh, you're falling helplessly. You try to punch someone to defend yourself, and, you know, they just laugh as your pillowy fist hits them. Right. That The loss of physical control and helplessness, and especially of sometimes innocent teens, this movie a little more in that that regard, right. right? These aren't as bad of teenagers as you see in a yeah, lot of this slashers. Isn't, this isn't like that a becomes a little Friday scarier than just yeah, Friday the Thirteenth, where you're like, well, I don't go to camp, yeah, so like I'm cool, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm just not gonna be at a campsite. Like I know there, better than to walk in the woods at dark, right? Like so there's still this. This is the most scarifying premise of right. a horror movie I've ever seen. There's still this morality in there. Like obviously, if you have sex, like again, like I actually tweeted about this because we've been watching these movies. It's like. The 80s were this amazing time where, like, the contempt the 80s had for teenagers and anyone young was so entertaining. Because, like, yeah. all movies like this in the 80s were, like, basically, like, if you have sex on camera, you are dead. Or you are a huge target. Right. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, and this is also just so, sort of an interesting, like, Wes Craven loves making movies about people who fuck on camera and then are just, like, targets. Like, 
this yeah. movie scream like he likes fucking with this trope a lot but yeah i think nightmare on elm street though is much more about the innocence i uh, yeah you said it best like innocence lost like that's really what this is is yeah. about growing up and it doesn't doesn't even necessarily have to be like sex what it has to be is like your inability to fight back against your attacker like that's that's terrifying right well i mean this is it yeah that the 80s had a thing, and I actually have always, because everyone knows the rules, right? Like, right. horror movies were considered the most Christian genre, because if you broke, if you committed a sin, you died. Right, right. And I think, in a way, that was a self-defense mechanism, where it's like, I know we're showing terrible things, but look, they're bad kids. It's going to scare our kids off the weed. You know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. So it became this defense mechanism. Right. That actually kind of works for horror movies, where, because so many of us did that. You're like, that's not a sin. That's not worth death. Right. Uh, but what I actually like about this movie, too, is I think Freddy has one of the most interesting backstories. Right. And Jason does, too. The, the backstory of Friday the 13th one is fantastic. But in this one to find out and this really hammers home the innocence lost. Right. On one right. level, it's so there is a child murderer who was let go on a technicality. Right. So now you've lost your innocence of belief in our legal system. Right. Uh, then my parents took it upon themselves to murder this guy. Right. They're above the law. So now you've lost your ability to believe in your parents. You're like, my parents are fucking murderers. Right. Like, even if they're vigilantes, that still changes the game. Right. With the parent like, oh, yeah, don't smoke by the dumpster, mom. How about don't murder people? <laughs> it's just it's a different math. Yeah. And then the, also the other thing that this backstory allows, which is so fascinating, is. The parents commit this kind of ultimate sin of taking the law into their own hands and killing this guy, right? Right. And I think most of the audience agrees that, you know, they're kind of justified, right? You see it all the time in the news. Uh, this guy committed an act against a child right. and his dad or someone went and killed him. And you're like, good. Right. Well, I think now. So you... it's weird because we're with them, but this is the fucked up thing. They kill Freddy to protect their kids. And then as we see, it kind of scars the parents enough to where. They never listen to their kids the rest of the movie or help them be safe. Right. So it's this irony of we're willing to do this terrible thing to save you, but then don't help you when you need it the most. And the danger's actually at your doorstep. Right. I mean, I think that that ultimately is, it's just so, yeah. Like, I mean, I've never, I've always sort of felt the parents are pretty culpable in this. Like, that's always been sort of my, like, obviously Freddy Krueger is a horrible He's a, he's a, he's a pedophile. Like no one should ever be right. feeling like no, no one should ever feel helpless <laughs> in their legal system, but also no one should ever feel helpless against like the, that kind of person. However, <laughs> I do kind of blame the parents for spooking who, for basically like stoking the fire, so to speak and causing, and that's not meant with irony, but literally causing Freddy Krueger. Like right. really, when you think about it, if you just let him like, if you let him get away or if you let like, or you like, if you let him get away and then like catch him in the act or something like that, like using the legal system to your <laughs> like, they want to use. We're going to use some pigtail as bait to save our teenagers. <laughs> yes, exactly. To save our teenagers that from might their be dreams. The hottest take. The hottest take we had. You'll hear somewhere down the road is we were debating on whether or not Freddie is good for property value. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Well, that gets back into... But no, it, it is weird. What I like about this is that Freddy becomes the the original sin, right? Yeah. 
that you were so desperate to do something good that you infect this, you know, thought virus into your lineage. Right. Well, that's you what know, it is. It, like it, it just makes Freddy play on this different and scary level that right. a lot of other slashers just don't have. Well, it's also the re it's again, it's like the reinvention of the suburban home. Like this happens in um it happened again in the nineties with Blue Velvet. Like you think about like the underbelly of what pretty suburbia is. Because like Elm Street is Elm Street is scary to us in the sense of the name now because of Freddy Krueger. Right. But like before anybody like you live on Elm Street. All right, you live on Elm Street. Like now there's like connotation yeah. to it, but Elm Street is middle like middle of Springwood, Ohio suburbia. Who gives a shit? Like it's safe. Yeah. So like to take something well, like that and make it unsafe is really kind of like the value and the intrigue of Nightmare on Elm Street as a series is that what you're doing is you're showing the dark underbelly of what this all could be, which is uh, which is like the collective ghost coming back to haunt the world. Like our yes. gen, like our original sin is simply like, I don't know, I guess like the avarice for justice. So like, I like yeah. you and me are parents. Like, of course, if someone did anything like that, like I would absolutely be on a fucking rampage. That's just, uh, there's no, there's no parent in the world who wouldn't, but right. There is, but there is with every react, with every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And that's really yeah. kind of like what we're. This, this is really kind of like what Freddy Krueger, I think, represents is the reaction of the world to our uh, our need for justice. I guess maybe right. And that it's a little hamstrung, right? The remake actually does a great job of playing with that notion of what if he was innocent, right? That is a big right? thing, part. And of the now remake. he's a vile killer because he's taking revenge. And then they're like, no, hardcore raper. <laughs> You're like, oh wow, okay, right. That right. was fun to think about for ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> Right. But this first one still kind of leaves a little bit of that. Right. Yeah. Where you still have this like when you, once you start taking justice into your own hands and the only person we hear tell the story of Fred Krueger is clearly an alcoholic who's kind of a haunted mom. Right. So was he actually let off only on a technicality or is there something more to the story? We don't know. So it, it, that extra level is fun. Right. And that was John Carpenter's trick that kind of changed horror movies when. I guess The Exorcist did it to a bit, but that was like a rich, wealthy actress. No, you know no, yeah. what John Carpenter did is said, "Here is American suburbia, right in Haddonfield, Illinois, unlike Springwood, Ohio. Right, we see nice families, well-maintained yards, everything seemingly is you know model suburbia, right? Right. The Strode family seems, or the Lori's guardians seem nice. She's a babysitter, you know. We're going out trick or treating." Uh, the dad's the police officer. Everything seems fine. And then Michael Myers injects there into this shapeless murderer. Right. But he's very physical, right? You're like, oh, man, that could happen to us and our neighbor. That was John Carpenter's trick. Right. This movie does that and says, what if the parents are also monsters? Right. And there's a monster when you close your eyes so you can't escape through dreaming. And also... What if uh, when you need your parents the most, they refuse to help you? Right. Because I think that's the insidious extra layer to Freddy is that by telling the parents that Freddy is haunting their dreams and asking for help so they don't get murdered, their parents, in the face of overwhelming evidence of some fuckery, refuse to take them seriously and just act like they're insane. Right. Well, I think that's the other thing. Too. And this is another aspect of Freddy. Like, again, rules change constantly in this universe. But like... Early on, what I think you realize is like Freddy's power comes from fear. 
So like it, it sort of right. works in a similar way like Pennywise would even. But Freddy's power comes from this fear that all the kids have of falling asleep, getting murdered in their sleep. So like right. to that point, there's even a worse aspect to it where if you tell your parents who are supposed to protect you from evil things and they're like, ah, you're fine. Go the fuck to sleep. Like they're essentially they're essentially What's the dream equivalent of rub some dirt on it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like they're essentially just pouring gasoline on the fear fire of like, yeah, we don't even give a shit about you. So not only do we not care that you're like, go to sleep. Like not only do we not care that you can't, you can't fall asleep when you're having nightmares, but also if you feel like you're going to get murdered, also you're going to get murdered in your sleep. So like not only do your parents not care, also Freddie cares that you're scared as hell that your parents don't care. It's just like, it's, you know, it's, it's more, it's more, uh, more food for the feast, you know, it's, Right. It's fascinating. Well, in the case of Nancy, her mom's like, I'll literally cage you in here and attempt to drug you. Yeah, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Like, Her mom's just like, I have vodka every morning for breakfast. Join me. <laughs> yeah, Nancy's well, mom. Like, she takes her to a sleep clinic, and Nancy starts <laughs> freaking out, and her mom's like, just a normal dream. Chill out. Yeah, Nancy's Meanwhile, mom the guy's is a like huge dream piece of shit exploding. in this movie. Like... <laughs> I feel bad for Nancy's mom, though, because you can tell she's very fucking haunted. She is. The piece of evidence that I had forgotten, Nancy's mom, so they inadvertently kill a man they just wanted to bring to justice. Right. She fucking waded into the ruins, found his fucking murder weapon, and kept it. Yeah. Like, that's like some fucking poltergeist shit. Like, of course he's going to come back. Like, the ability to haunt is always the fact that you're attached to an item itself. Like... I think the yeah. totem is such an important part of like these kinds of movies, particularly like Freddy's glove, Jason's machete. Um, I mean, and what's interesting about Michael Myers is it's the mask. It's less about the knife itself, but yeah. it's much more about the mask. You know, like yeah. the totem and the to- the totem itself is what brings these characters to life. So, but like, I, I mean, I guess even the machete's not so like, machete's not machete's iconography, but it's not quite the thing that brings him to well, life like that mixed with the mask like he becomes a whole thing right, right this right. larger than life murder it's weapon is how i associate but yeah like, like, jason's definitely got a lot of phallic stuff going on he's not right. killing you with like a butter knife right right freddy's manly ass big dick energy again kills. like and there's even a little <laughs> bit of like like what's interesting too is the way that this character is like constructed like freddy krueger is such an interesting because obviously like the what I would call humor of Freddy Krueger comes out so much more in the later movies, obviously, like we were talking about. But there's even drips and drips of that in the first two where it's really kind of horrific what's happening. But he still has like these little moments of Trixie where he's fucking around or he talks to people the way that you're not supposed to talk to people. But that also is always like to me the indicator of like, okay, this guy definitely like was a pedophile. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, right. Well, this is what I said later is that Freddie's humor to me at a point jumps the shark and becomes too much. Right. Right. In this one, because especially the remake, he still has a lot of jokes. No one remembers it, though, because they're so repulsed. Right. And in this one, Freddie reminds me of that, where Freddie's a guy who would have been a societal outcast. Right. He doesn't know how to be funny amongst a group of social peers. <laughs> right. So right. his sense of humor would be fucking vile to you. The scene, obviously, when he's like, Tina, look at this. And he chops his own oh, fingers yeah. off and smiles. And this is the weird thing. We see Freddy, a lot of Freddy's moves become iconic in this. Yeah. But you see him kind of playing with, 
what, what they do with Freddy in this one, too, which is cool, is Freddy surveys the children in their dreams more in this movie. Right, yeah. Later movies, Freddy is the ringmaster of biggish, bigger dreams. Right. Where he's kind of in control. In this one, Much we more see a lot of shots of him skulking around the boiler room, right? Totally. Hiding behind a tree. He wants to see what effect chopping the fingers have. When he sees Nancy, slices his belly open, and maggots and ooze come out, and he smi- he's getting a rise yeah. out of it's very seeing voyeur- how he it's can affect It's very voyeuristic. Them. Like, this is about, I, mean, I think you're right. Yeah. That's a good point, though. Like, that goes with that experimentation thing we're talking about, where he's trying to figure out what the power he has is exactly. I mean, like, right. Again, we're never clued into the fact that Freddy Krueger doesn't know he can do this stuff. But that's an interesting point, and I think that actually speaks a little more to it. Like, right. I've also, I also think, like, because I've watched most of these. Um, between all of them, this one has some of the most vicious and brutal murders of any of the movies. Like, Tina's, oh my God. Tina's well, murder this, in particular is at so At least two vicious. of these are in the best of the series. Sure. Yeah. Well, to me... Tina's death is the greatest death in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Totally. Because it's the first death we see, and it sets such a fucking tone of why this is scary. Because not only are we watching what happens to Tina, but watching Rod, this tough guy, right? The switchblade-carrying tough guy. Right. Reduced to this cowering child in the corner. Is this girl is ripped apart, thrown around the air, flipping around the ceiling. And the amount of blood, right? The the real world devastation yeah. of this dream murderer is so fucking intense in this scene, right? Because I would say her and the Johnny Depp kill are among the top 10 best in the entire series, right? Which I think he has about 45 kills on screen. Yeah. Uh, and this one doesn't have a lot of kills, which is rare for, you know, this era. But they're so fucking brutal. Even Rod's with the noose is really unsettling. Oh, yeah. The noose is pretty unsettling. I mean, like, the noose is unsettling. It's interesting. Like, Johnny Depp, like, I think, was this his first movie, too? Like, it's fascinating to watch Johnny Depp. Introducing Johnny Depp, yeah. Introducing Johnny Depp. Like, it's fascinating to watch Johnny Depp in this movie because, yeah, like, Glenn's murder is really visceral from a visual standpoint, but I actually found it to be, on this viewing, like, the least impactful. Like, and maybe it's because like we see I found it the other it's interesting like I actually think that uh the hanging and like Tina's is always number one but like the hanging on this viewing was so much more intense and so much more visceral and I wonder if it's just because we've been watching a lot more like maybe it's because we've been watching a lot more but like I also thought like I'm like man (laughs) this reminds me a lot of like like I remember watching the first time I watched Suspiria like the opening scene is sort of the same thing where you're just like that is just hateful there's something really visceral about this whole thing. And then when you watch Glenn's, it's it's weird. I'm not sure if I wouldn't call it desensitization because that's a cheap that's cheapening of the the thrill itself. But there is something right. about the way that Glenn is pulled in, the way Glenn die or the way Glenn, you know, dies, I guess, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's just um I'm not entirely sure. Like there's something about it that had a less less a less Let um, me lay out a case less brutal for you. effect. Let me lay out a case for Glenn's death and why I think it actually might be my favorite in the movie, right? Go. One, I like that before this, Glenn is a completely clean character, right? Does nothing wrong the whole movie. We see him try to be chivalrous, even though he's a little weenie, walking out in the backyard like, I'll defend you. I'll, you know, I'm going to knock your ugly block off. <laughs> right. No way he wins a fist fight versus anyone, right? Chivalrous. 
He wants to, you know, get going with Nancy. She's like, no. He lays there, listens to fucking, and is just like, morality sucks. But he's still very moral, right? He tries to be there. His biggest sin is that he can't not fall asleep when Nancy tells him not to. Right, right. Right before that, we see him have this really nice interlude in relationship with his mom. So there is this look at how nice and good this family is, how much they love Glenn. You know, the dad's a little bit of a surly prick. Like, I don't want to over here with my boy. Right. You're like, all right, well, he was a dad in the 80s, right? I think every one of them acted that way, right? Right. Yeah, like, it's just I got to go rough up a problem. Right. You know, they used to parent with their fists. That was their thing. That was the 80s. But, you know, it seems like a good family household, and he seems to have a good life and be a good kid. Right. And this is one of the dreams where there's no ceremony to this. This comes fast. And the, the other two parts of the death, besides it coming fast, and it's just a lovely kill the way they did the blood effects and the spatter and the Sure, yeah. Point. I mean, the look is the amazing. The parts that really get me... Right. This is the one where we spend the most time after the death watching how characters respond to carnage of this level. Right. So we see police officers unable to deal with it, catching Bucket in the living room. The tough guy dad's like, oh, my God, my boy. Uh, You know, the coroner's in the bathroom puking his guts up because he can't even fathom what he. So watching the characters have to really sit with this all-American boy being fucking just liquefied right i think that's the the impact for me right is that there's so much extra trauma with that one and even nancy watching across the street in her bars like a fucking lunatic there's a lot of extra damage that happens after the kill which is why i think glenn's is really impactful for me okay i mean i'll buy that I, i i mean like yeah that makes more sense but again it's just one of those things where i i can't I don't know. It was just this viewing particularly. I'm not entirely sure why I felt this way, but there is something about it that was just less. Um, it was less. It was less visceral than I thought it would. Than it has been in previous. Uh, previous. You're still mad he was cast in Fantastic Beasts. So you're like, <laughs> I'm glad. He no, it's not. It has, honestly, He's not my Grindelwald. It's interesting. Like it has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that it's Johnny Depp. It has all to do with the fact that I find Tina's. Tina, maybe it's I just find Tina's death so brutal like oh my god well you know it's brutal about Tina too and this gets back to Freddie's fucking vile sense of humor is to me the iconic scene of the whole movie right Freddie or Tina and Glenn are obviously amongst them Tina in the body bag and then when Nancy gets lured out into the hall and Tina's legs lift and she gets dragged right there's that massive trail of blood that is to me Probably my fa- my favorite nightmare image in the entire series. That shot. I remember the first time I saw it. I was probably like 12 years old. In the fucking chill that ran down my spine. Just, oh, fuck. Because we'd already seen her get brutally murdered. But there's something extra repulsive about now we have to watch her dead body get played with. Yeah. I mean, it like, really is unsettling. I mean. And it's not even a kill. It's just a, you know a dream so he can do a hall monitor joke yeah (laughs) totally i mean like that whole like is between that and i mean that and like the body bag stuff too is fucking terrifying like yeah it's a quick shot of the body bag is really it's a quick shot too of like the like um the centipede crawling out of her mouth like oh so cool well not only has freddie taken her from our world but now he's desecrating her in his dream which is like another it's just it's so vile. Poor Tina, man. Which, by the you way, really goes against goes again to point out that he definitely was a pedophile, like without question. Yeah. 
Well, this was the weird thing, right? Because it gets to the point in the series where he's killed off the Elm Street kids. Right. And you're like, well, why didn't he revert back to killing them when they were the age he preferred? Why didn't he come for the Elm Street kids when they were little babies, right? Like the Losers Club age. Hmm. Uh, I think it's probably just like a, you know, eh, we don't want to show that on camera. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, apparently that's why they changed it. He was a pr- originally a child molester. And they're like, let's just call him a child murderer. They'll get it. Right. He's pretty obviously giving off the vibes. I'd say from a production perspective. I was reading there just like the studio's that. like, this is really repulsive. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say from a production perspective, I understand. You don't want to have to cast kids in a horror movie because this movie would take like eight months more to make. Uh, right. But yeah. It- also, it's hard because then you can't get the parents doing the hard truths, right? Like one of the scenes I love is when they're at the funeral and Nancy starts describing Fred Krueger, and you just see the parents' face like, oh, fuck. Right. I think that scene is really good. And you would lose that with younger kids, probably. Yeah, I think so, but, too. But um, I think the only knock I'll give this movie, why it's not my favorite in the series, and why amongst like my favorite horror movies, Nightmare drops a bit. And this is funny because it becomes a... They set a theme, right? Like What's really funny about this movie is the opening five minutes is so full of... You know, iconic images, right? Freddie building his hand. Right. Uh, the music. The little girls doing the jump rope lullaby. A dream sequence, right? The boiler room. Like, in five minutes, they're like, oh, man, we fucking got you. We know this all works. Yeah. Right. At the end, I hate that this movie ends with Freddie having to be home alone in the real world. Pulling Freddy into the real world is the biggest sin of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies to me, right? And they do it in part one. Part two, part six, uh, they do it in New Nightmare. He interacts with the world, but they defeat him in a dream. And then the remake pulls him into the world. So that's like five out of eight movies and Freddy versus Jason. We always pull a dream demon into the real world to right. physically fist fight him. Well, I think it's, that really bums me I mean, out. we'll talk more about it when we talk about uh elm street 2 but like yeah it's a strange thing when he enters the real world because i like how elm street 2 tries to introduce him to the real world by the way i think they're the only ones that do a clever job of that yeah like the the use of it in elm street 2 works for me but i understand what you're getting at and i think the hard part about (laughs) this is the problem with like basing a character is like ooh, a dream demon cool got it great once he's right. in the real world, he's just a regular guy. Like, you could just shoot him. Like, that's the problem yeah. is there's too much of that going on a lot of the time. Yeah. I, well, I, the amount of times that Freddy Krueger is involved in a fist fight in these movies is insane to me. It's ridiculous. You're like, I don't want to see – in this, you know, we see a lot of great practical effect, Freddy, of, like, dream monstrosities he yields. Right. Every time he's in a fist fight, I'm just not digging it. The right. only defense I've come up with is I get why Freddy does this in dreams because he was such a creature, right? Serial killers have these kind of like kinks, right? They have their methodology. Right. So for him to be someone who obviously he didn't choose a gun or whatever, he's slowly toying with bodies with those knives. Right. So for him, there is this physicality, right? He needs to toy with you while he watches your repulsion and pain. Right. Is part of his kink, right? So I get why, like, maybe the, you know, physical fighting adds some level of joy to him. But again, he's in a dream, so he's not feeling the impact. So why? Anyways, I am very anti-Freddy being pulled into the real world. Sure. And they do a good job because we still see burning Freddy, right, uh, go up to the bed. And then when they cut to 
the burning mom sinking into the bed. I've always loved that image. It's just I, really cool horror movie stuff. It kind of reminds me of like a gothic ghost story at that yeah, moment. I mean, there's there's two things that I think are probably the most important elements of the Nightmare on Elm Street series that make me want to watch them. And I like, I mean, we've talked about this on the show a bunch of times. Like, I my first go to is not horror movies, but the reason I like Nightmare on Elm Street is two things. One, I think Freddy Krueger is just a fantastic villain. Um, but the yeah. mo- more important thing is the um, element of. I mean, from a practical standpoint, the element of set design, but the element of what the dreams do and the way that the real world interacts with the dreams. Like, you see this more in Nightmare 2, but, like, the way the world changes when you're in the dream itself is so visceral and interesting. Uh, Like, again, it's so much more prevalent in, in Elm Street 2. But here, like, again, you're right, though. Like, there's so much of this... I love the world itself in the dream because it gets so topsy turvy and uncomfortable and weird yet familiar. Yeah. Like that's what's scary about it. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing too, is I guess the argument for bringing him into the real world is his acts have a lot of real world consequences, right? He can actually physically manifest upon the reality. Right. So pulling him out, isn't such a stretch. I just think it's a, a waste of the concept, right? Totally. I want to see, and at the end, there is a question about the ending, right? She does turn, I take every bit of power I've given. It just goes, Yeet. it has like that real quick, like, like violin. Yeet. Yeah. And he goes blue and you're like, well, I guess that's not much better. <laughs> that's not like a great way to do it. Right. <laughs> but when he's coming out of the bed, you're like, yes. yeah, that's like, it's fucking metal as shit. That's that kind of horror. And then he disappears. But then we go from that moment, hard cut to uh, she's outside. Right. Right. Hey, mom, I'm a perfect mom now. I want to stop drinking. And all her friends are there. She jumps in the Freddy convertible. Mom gets dragged through the window, which I love. Right. So it lets you know that even by taking what you've given him away, there's enough of us that are afraid that Freddy is kind of an eternal uh, boogeyman. Yeah. He never goes away. So they do a good job of both, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the important thing about the ending is that this is not about, I mean, from a franchise perspective, you don't kill your like key player, but like, right. From the perspective of storytelling, what it is, is like the things that are scarier. It's like, what's scary about it is not Freddy Krueger. It's our own ability to create our own boogeyman. Like that's, that's what I think is really terrifying about, freddy krueger is that it's in all of us like there's nothing about freddy krueger that is like he's elemental it's not it's not it's not a physical thing it's elemental it's it's pretty interesting right and he he is bound to a place and a group especially as we learn later in the series right he's there to get revenge on these parents and their kids right totally but it's not the same way jason is bound to crystal lake for most of those movies right like there is this this virus of fear right if you go to school and nancy freaks out in that classroom those kids start talking like who's this fucking fred krueger what is this then you are feeding into his power right there's this extra level of fear that they accomplish and i mean they just struck gold with robert england yeah right we'll talk about next movie how they first figured that out but and this is funny because robert doesn't even really get a chance to do his full routine in this no But you're seeing the groundwork he lays. And what I think is really scary about Nightmare 1 is, again, we spend a lot of time looking at the real-world consequences of these dreams and broken 
assumptions about parenthood and protection of parents. Um, you know, there's just, again, that loss of innocence, right? Like Freddie sitting there stalking them through their dreams rather than creating the dream playground adds an extra level of fear, right? Him, I'm going to spend more time dragging my nails on, you know, objects to create fear rather than stabbing you with them. Right. That kind of Freddie is really terrifying. Uh, and I, I do think, I don't know where I would rank Nightmare 1 in my all-time list. Uh, it's definitely top three or four. Again, that the Home Alone section has always really bothered me. But I think, again, this has probably the best array of kills and imagery of the whole series. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's probably it's top three for me for sure. I definitely is not number one. Yeah, I was like, I find it hard to put this above Dream Warriors. Yeah, I mean, because that one I feel like just plays so well with all of the, which is funny because Wes Craven hated every sequel after this. Yeah, but I was like, it just takes the the groundwork laid to such a fun place, and Freddy really hits his stride by part three. Yeah, I think so. It's too. hard to jump above Dream Warrior. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Dream Warrior has always been one of my favorites, but this is definitely in the top three. There's just yeah, again, like I think you're right though. Like what the problem that. The problem this movie creates is that he jumps out of into the real jumping into the real world just doesn't do it for me. And the fact that they kept doing it. Yeah. Is insane. Right. Totally. <laughs> just, it really drove me nuts that he has to constantly keep coming. But it's like the whole point is they killed him and removed him from the physical world so he could become this bigger, scarier. Right. Thing. Right. Right. But well, let's just bring this tiny waifish little sweater wearer back in the real world. And <laughs> it just really has always sat wrong with me. Well, like, and that ends up being, um, I mean, that's sort of the... Like, if you pull Pinhead out of the cube, right? It's just like, he's just a guy who likes nipple clamps. I'll fist fight him all day. Right. You well, and that mean? ends up being, like, um, that's sort of my... I mean, like, it's interesting, like, that's why I like Freddy versus Jason so much, because they actually sort of address some of these things that we're talking about, which is like, Jesus Christ, for real? Is this really, like, where, where this is going? And then like that's that one what, steers right into it, which I love. Yeah, it's 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 cool. But yeah, I um, I I, I love this. I love these movies. Like I think they're fun and yeah. they're they're fun. And even even the brutality of the first two, which are still kind of taking themselves pretty seriously, there's still elements of entertainment there that I can really kind of like get on board with. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, other than the remake, this to me is by far the most brutality in a movie. Yeah, totally. Again, like even the simple brutality of Glenn's dad having to look at the blood spot of his son leaking through the ceiling. I mean, that is truly devastating and horrifying, right? Oh, it's horrible. What I what I would say is that this movie, I it's fun to watch this movie and be like, God, imagine what this series became. Right. Right. That Freddie like became this giant pop culture sensation because it just doesn't feel like that's the trajectory of this. Right. Right. It feels like this is like, oh, it's going to be this dark, beloved by horror franchise. But Freddy crossed over more than any other, I mean, character, maybe Pennywise now. But we live in a different era of social media and merchandising that makes that a lot easier. For Freddy to have done it back then is staggering. But pretty I think what it is, is it's, it's the universality of the fear, right? Again, like you said, coming into your house and your dreams. And what if you can't trust your parents? Like, everyone can relate to that. Mom, I need help with this. Ah, bullshit. When I was your age. So there's this universal fear to Freddy. There's a universal repulsion. And the iconography of the sweater and the glove aside, there's just 
something so dynamic in the whore, right? That right. the way they utilize the dreams creates so much dread and fear that then when we cut to the real world brutality, which should be the worst parts, it's a little softened because you're so scared throughout so much of the movie totally. that you can tolerate that. Yeah. So I, I think it's a masterpiece of horror. Again, if you take out the Home Alone section and replace it with, you know, kind of a uh, dream, dream master kind of like Freddy ripping himself apart. I mean, I think this would be top five all time horror movie. I <sighs> couldn't disagree. Could, I the premise I itself and the that. character are still among the best I've ever heard. Yeah. Totally. Or seen, I guess it were. So that's it for Nightmare One, guys. This is our intro to Freddy. Uh, up next, Freddy trying to rip himself out of some poor boy in Freddy's Revenge, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, that one gets weird. I'm so excited to talk about it. Because, again, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, usually considered the worst of the series amongst fans, which is crazy in a world where Freddy's dead exists. Come on, guys. I think that movie is so much better than people give it credit for, and I can't wait to lay out my defenses. Um, as always, guys, thank you for your support. Leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, share the pod on your socials. We appreciate the work you guys are doing. Uh, tomorrow, Freddy's Revenge. Every day this month, you're getting a movie pretty much. All the nightmares. All the Fridays culminating in uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, for the Film Alchemist, I'm your host, Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. This is God Now. We forgot to talk about the when the phone just tries to make out with her. Classic dad joke. I was gonna save. I was gonna save the. Tongue, I was gonna save the tongue for the sequel. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>